you take your seat uh, this evening. When we were little, uh, when my kids were little, <laughs> uh, and we were reading them a story, uh, one of uh, some of their favorite uh, stories that they knew and loved, sometimes uh, as the story was getting underway, they would say, get to the good part. <laughs> now, we've been following this dramatic story of Joseph the patriarch as it's been unfolding. We're only four chapters in, and uh, 20 years have passed. Uh, crazy t- turns and amazing ups and downs. There's nine chapters to go. But as we pick back up here in the story now in Genesis 42, maybe some of our grown-up kids who are with us tonight are thinking, now, <clears throat> here in 42, we've gotten to the good part of the story. Verse 1. When Jacob, who's also called Israel, learned that there was grain in Egypt, there was a terrible famine and everybody's starving, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's younger brother, his full brother, his only full brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain among the whole world, the scripture tells us, uh, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Also, we'll pause there and here we go. So we have a saying, don't we, that the chickens have come home to roost? And so, in other words, we mean when bad behavior comes back to bite those who have done the wrong thing. And that's why I suggest this evening that we've arrived at perhaps a more emotionally satisfying part of the story because most people like it when the bad guys in the story get what's coming to them. Amen? Amen. Whoa, see. (laughs) That explains why some of you are here tonight. Perhaps most of you. Now, now, and 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 um, happily, I'll tell you, this is just the beginning, because uh, uh, there are chapters to come. This is just the start, and so what's going on in this case? <clears throat> the chickens, if we can call Joseph brothers chickens, uh, are not coming home to roost. They're actually headed on a southern road to face the brother they tried to kill. Uh, who they sold into slavery and shipped off some 23 years earlier. So the spiritual law, which we quoted together this this evening in our call to worship from Galatians 6, that we reap what we sow, it has no statute of limitations, that spiritual law. Uh, Unless, of course, God suspends that law graciously on account of mercy, which he often does, praise God. Uh, But here in Genesis 41, and here's a good heading, note takers for this uh, chapter and for this paragraph, God must awaken these men's consciences. That's the whole point, because he loves them. He wants to restore them. He wants them to be all that he made them to be. That's not going to happen until they own what they did and turn from it, confess it, 
and uh, get reconciled. And so the Lord has to get the family together. So he plans a family reunion of sorts. Uh, and he sets the hook in the brothers' mouths and begins to draw them down to Egypt land, uh, right to their brother's doorstep. And uh, if they think it gets hot in Cairo, sometimes they ain't seen nothing yet because things are going to heat up for these fellas. So we start out, verse 2, there, a need for grain. You'll recall uh, they're, they're in the midst of a deadly famine. Uh, you'll notice how serious it is that he says uh, that we may live and not die. So things aren't just they're a little bit hungry. Uh, people are starving and dying now. And so famine's a terrible thing and so is death and suffering. But in God's economy, Christian, I'm talking to you, there's always a constructive purpose and a nice initial takeaway for us tonight. Don't despise every painful drought in your life that comes your way because God often moves his people into his perfect will by allowing a painful felt need, as they're called, a bankruptcy, a divorce, a sickness, even persecution to move us in the right direction, in the direction of life. Romans 8, 28, he's working it all together for our good. One writer said, oh, blessed adversity, which puts me on the road to life. And that's exactly what this adversity has done. It's put the boys, (laughs) the men, they're in their 40s and 50s now, by the way, uh, on the road to life not only physically, but spiritually, and that's how God works. So uh, that's the redemptive purpose that's taking the form of a terrible seven-year-long devastating drought, which was symbolized nicely in Pharaoh's prophetic dream of those seven nasty, ugly, carnivorous cows. Uh, and they ha- they're now on the scene chomping down everything imaginable. There's no more uh, food and grain left, wreaking havoc there. And uh, the Hebrew nation is feeling it. Guess how many Hebrews there are in the world? About 70. There's only 70 Jewish people on the planet <clears throat> at this time. Now, the rumor, dad knows, And so do the boys. The boys know. Uh, They're all dying and everybody knows where to find bread when everybody's dying. Uh, But uh, but he's looking at them and they're not going to Egypt. And he says, why are you, here's the meaning of verse one. Why are you guys standing around gawking at each other? What's that perplexed, crazy, bizarre look on your faces? There's a nuance of a strange look that he's pointing out. Well, answer Egypt is a trigger word for the brothers because when they hear the E word, it's associated what they did 23 years earlier. And one of their last memories of their brother is as they're heading off to Egypt. So when you bring up Egypt and say, do you want to go to Egypt? No, (laughs) we're guilty. We have a guilty conscience. We don't want to go to where the same route where we saw our brother go as we sold him uh, to kidnappers, slave traders, there headed off to Egypt. And so that's the look of perplexity that their dad is talking about. Uh, One writer said the word Egypt in their ears must have sounded like the word gun in the house of a man who'd killed someone and covered it over. 
and was living as a fugitive from justice, you see. So that's why they don't want to go. That's why they're gawking around, because they're confused. They're like, uh, we're dying, we're going to die, and we're kind of forced by the universe, by karma, you know, to go now. We have to go and face this land called Egypt and, you know, all of that. So Jacob's will, dad's will prevails, verse 3 and following. They're going to go and, and, you know, because God makes his face the things that we would rather keep hidden because he wants us to become all that he's designed us to be. And so he gives the word back in that time and place and culture, uh, the father, the paternal head of house retained his authority over grown children and their families. And so uh, he determined they could go, uh, but Benjamin's not going. He's going to safeguard him uh, lest something bad happen, verse 4. Apparently he's less concerned about the others uh, going. But nothing can happen to Benjamin. Why? Uh, Benjamin is a little bit like an idol. Of the 12, Jacob had only two sons from his first and only true love, Rachel. They had a special bond. He had a special love, and and he favored them. Joseph, uh, he has been misled to believe, is dead. And Benjamin's the only one left. And Rachel, the love of his life, died while in childbirth with Benjamin. So he keeps Benjamin, who's in his late 20s, within his watchful eye for protection. So off the 10 go, they've got a sinking foreboding feeling. Uh, You know, they're heading down that same road that they watched the caravan take their brother, you know, and maybe they have a little deja vu. And one of them says, maybe Dan asks, Naphtali, what are the chances we'd run into the guy? And another one says, Egypt's a big country. (laughs) No worries. The answer to that question, what are the chances, are pretty good. If God wants you to run into him, uh, get ready to ring his front doorbell. That's exactly what happens. Verses 6 through 9. Now Joseph was the governor of the land. He has many titles, doesn't he? The other one is prime minister of Egypt. As Pharaoh said, no one lifts a pinky without permission from this man. (laughs) Yeah, He's governor, meaning he's in charge of dispersing the grain. The one who sold the grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. That should remind us all of a dream that (laughs) Joseph had that started this whole thing. Verse 7, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food, like everybody else in the line, Uh, not necessarily from Canaan. Verse 8, although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them. Whoa, and he just saw them bow and said to them, you're spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. This is good. Pause there. The reunion has begun, at least uh, 
for starters here, but there's only one member of the family that's aware uh, that they're all together again, and that would be the governor, a.k.a. Prime Minister. And so uh, Joseph recognizes them, verse 8, they don't recognize him. And for good reason, I'll tell you about that. First things first, they bow down. Nose to dirt. Face to the ground. Why? Well, Joseph is the Prime Minister and he's got bread and they're going to die. So everybody was a little desperate and in the presence of royalty and much like the prophetic foreshadowing of bowing before the Son of God, if you want the bread that keeps you alive, the bread of heaven, we bow before him. You see, there's another parallel right there. So uh, let's get that initial God-given dream uh, fulfilled. And so uh, you'll remember he said, hey guys, I had a dream. I was gathering all the bundles of weed in a field. Suddenly my bundle stood up really straight and tall and your bundles all came around and bowed down to mine and they said do you really intend to reign over us i could just imagine what i don't have any intentions i just had a dream i'm telling you about the dream and they said will you actually rule over us that we would bow before you so they hated him even more because of his dream and his statement so they're insanely jealous brothers here now have done exactly what they didn't want to do and they did their best to dispose of him so they'd never have to do the thing they didn't want to do but guess what if god wants something to happen as job said i know that no plan of yours can be thwarted chapter 42 and verse 2 well that's good news for us because god has plans for us to bless us, not to harm us, to give us a hope in a future, and none of that can be thwarted, period. <clears throat> so this is uh, just a beautiful picture of Jesus as well, that Jesus' brothers, his Hebrew family, the Jewish race, disowned him and rejected him, but one day they will bow before him after he's been exalted and they come to him. Uh, he said, you'll see me coming in the clouds with, with God's great glory and power. And just like this picture of, the, of Joseph's Hebrew family bowing before and exalted now Joseph and their life and death depending on Joseph's good favor, it's the same thing Uh, only with Jesus. It's a lot bigger and every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So verse 8, they don't recognize him. That's amazing but not surprising. It's been 23 years. So he's not 17, he's 40. That's a big difference. He doesn't have a beard, he's shaven. We talked about that last time. He's not speaking Hebrew. He's speaking Egyptian using an an interpreter. Uh, Not to mention there's probably a little spiritual ether uh, from the Holy Spirit who wants to keep them in the dark as he begins to build pressure on them to connect their guilty deeds to their current painful uh, suffering. That's what has to happen. And so 
I can imagine Joseph's emotions at this moment. Can you? I mean, they kind of catch him off guard, you know. They're in the line with the rest of the world. And so he he just kind of like starts to speak gruffly with suspicion. Verse 7, where are you from? Uh, You know, and these questions aren't the only ones here. You're going to see that he's actually asking a lot of questions. And so he's saying, hold on, cowboys. Before you get your grain and we conduct business as usual, I think there's some things we might need to talk about here. So such a genius move. He needs to buy time and find a way to keep them in custody, right? So he accuses them of ulterior motives. You're spies. He's going he's gonna to keep saying it until they, the pressure is unbearable for them. Four times, you're spies. Which is the usual charge of choice when nations want to uh, uh, retain foreigners in their midst? They just accuse them of being spies because it's so serious you could lose your life. And they are feeling that. He keeps saying, You're, you've committed a capital crime. You'll never see your father again because we're going to kill you. That's what they're hearing. So now they're wondering, well, why is this happening? Oh, maybe we did something. Uh, Okay, okay. And so that's what's happening here. So uh, let's arrest you boys, figure out together what God is up to. uh, And uh, that's what happens here. Now verse 10. No, no, my Lord, as they keep saying, no, we're innocent. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man because he's asking them, who are you? Where are you from? And later on we find out he's asking about the father. He's asking about the other brother. He's asking about their jobs. He wants to hear the story. How are you framing your lives without me at the Thanksgiving table? I want to hear how you tell the story to somebody. So how many were born? And, and yeah, where are they all? And all of your brothers. And so that's what he's doing to them. Your servants are honest men, not spies. Uh, not very honest. Verse 12. No, he said to them, you've come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the, son of one, uh, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. That's the only, that Canaan and Judah are the names of Israel, right? So we're, we haven't named it Israel yet. The Lord hasn't. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, you're spies. And this is how you'll be tested as surely as Pharaoh lives, swearing on the, on the Pharaoh's life. You will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words will be tested to see if you're telling the truth. If you're not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. There's the three days again. The scripture's always talking about three days, and then in three days, there's a resolve. Hmm. I wonder what that could be pointing to. Uh, So, note takers, the interrogation heats up because he's looking for the truth. He's going to start digging, and the Holy Spirit's really the one who's pushing this. He wants to dig it out. Come on, guys, let's get to the truth. So, 
Uh, tell me about your family, verse 13. I can't wait to hear about all of them. So we're from Canaan. Check. We're all brothers. We share one father. Check. Actually, we're 12 brothers in total. Check. We're honest men. <laughs> the youngest is home with dad. Check. And the other one is no more. Meaning, we don't know what's become of him. That's called a truth lie. All right? So it's technically true. They don't know what's come of their brother, but they do know full well what they did to cause his disappearance. And so, you know, humans are such good liars. We know how to lie and tell the truth at the same time, which is a lie, by the way. So, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? I told you the truth. We didn't know exactly how it turned out. You know, that's true. Whatever. Joseph's expression when they say, and one is no longer on the scene. I think that's why Joseph erupts right there at verse 14. And he erupts right there, uh, two possible reasons. Number one, he's about to lose his emotional control, which he does throughout this whole story. He has to go out of the room and cry. Then he comes back. And number two, uh, he, he got stung possibility. And he wants to turn up the heat and get a little more truthful answer. What? Oh, it's exactly as I thought. You're spies and you're going to die. You know, kind of thing. Just like, how dare you say that I'm off the scene and you don't know what happened to me? Why don't you just tell the truth? We offed one of the brothers. <laughs> he got in the way. <laughs> we were so jealous of him. We just, we tried to kill him. That didn't work. So we sold him to some slave traders. Said, that's what he wants to hear. But uh, yeah, so he says, yeah, just like I thought, spies, spies. No one's going to leave this place until, until Ben, I mean your brother, uh, comes here. Uh, choose one from among you and then uh, go get him. That's my test. Produce Benjamin or all your gooses, all 10 are cooked. We're right. Verses 16 and 17 he tosses them behind bars. Irony here, hmm, they send him to become a slave where he gets tossed into jail, right? And now he's the one tossing them into prison, see? God's behind all of this and how even the stay in prison because God wants the brothers to marinate 72 hours all together in one room, <laughs> sleepless nights, all 10 of them in one enclosure. Let's stop and think about what's happening. Let's think deeply. All of this bizarre predic predicament that makes no sense here in the land with overt associations with the guilt of their sin. 18 through 24. On the third day, boom, Joseph says to them, do this and, and you will live for I fear God. He uses the name of their God. It's nice. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers stay here. He's changing his mind. He's loosening up a little bit, bringing God into the equation. While the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. Compassion. Verse 20. But you got to bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This 
they proceeded to do, they said to one another, next slide, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed, this is very moving to me, we saw how distressed he was and he pleaded with us for his life, but we wouldn't listen and that's why this distress has come upon us. You're getting close. Verse 22, Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we have to give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them. Since he was using an interpreter, he turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. He's not kidding around. So let's go back to 18. And there, we'll just make a few comments here. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> uh, this has all come upon us because of what we did to Joseph. Can we all say bingo together? You know, bingo. ready? One, two, three. Bingo. They're nailing it now. They're getting, they're catching on. God is awakening their conscience. So, yeah, so well, sorry, and please forgive me for the unpleasant imagery I'm about to use in this illustration. Uh, but it's just so fitting. I just can't pass it up. When someone suffers from a painful boil, an infection that's festering under the surface of the skin, hot compresses are needed and they apply it to the surface. And then it draws up from within deep places an eruption and all the nastiness comes to the surface and can be cleaned out. Now, these men have had the sickest of boils, uh, an awful abscess in their soul, festering for over two decades. But three days in the slammer with hot <laughs> compresses applied to their soul, with a threat of death hanging over their head for 72 long hours in Egypt land, it starts to bring it all up and out. So. Joseph had some time to think too. So he amends the plan, 19 and following. He says, uh, you can all return. I'm not keeping you all. You guys just pick one. I don't care who it is. You pick them. And make sure you guys go back. Well, I'll give you your food. Go back to your life. But I better get Benjamin. I want to see Benjamin. And then he says something nice. I fear God. And here's a, he's trying to comfort them. I fear Elohim. I fear your God, not the Egyptian gods. Uh, and, and what's he trying to say here? He, he's trying to say, I know they raise their eyebrows and their hopes. Like, what are you mentioning our God for? Like, hardly anyone knows about Elohim. Well, he's mentioning Elohim because he's, a, he's just bringing God into the equation. He wants them to start thinking about God and, and God's part in all of this. And, and so he's saying, Let, let's see where this goes, gentlemen. Uh, we have faith in Elohim, and I want to see my brother go and get him, and everybody live happily ever after, you know? So... Uh, if the brothers were spiritually mature enough to get what he was trying to do there, I think it would have comforted them. So they're starting to connect the dots there. And then, of course, uh, firstborn Reuben can't resist the I told you so, you know. So verses 21 there through 22, let me just uh, paraphrase. This has all happened as punishment for what we did to Joseph. 
remember how frayed and upset and his begging for his life and the tone of his voice and we just snubbed and ignored him. That's why this is all happening to us and that's why we're suffering now. And Reuben chimes in, do not tell you not to sin against him. You wouldn't listen. Now we have to give an accounting for his blood. Amazing, nobody has said a word to them. Nobody's told them any of this. They have put together, they've associated the mysterious providence of God working painfully in their lives and that they've connected and that's what God does. When you're when you've got something that you know you've done wrong and it's still sitting in there like stuck, like indigestion of the soul, you know, every little trial starts to point to it. Every little suffering, oh, that happened because there it is. That's how he does it sometimes, you know. It would be nice if we didn't give him any reason to have to do that. You know, that's what uh, I think is wisdom. Uh, one writer said, guilt is like the red warning light on the dashboard of the car. You can either stop and deal with the trouble or ignore it and deal with a greater problem later. I like that. Now, one writer also said, there's not a real complete logical connection between their current situation and their previous treatment of Joseph. And that's what I'm saying. That's why I said what I said. A guilty conscience sees every trouble as sin's penalty, right? Now, um, you're all mature enough to know that hardship, which comes every day, isn't necessarily a sign that there's sin in your life, right? It's a sign that you live in this world. <laughs> so um, what a gift of a, of a clean conscience, a conscience that's at perfect rest. Uh, if, if you don't have that, here's what the Bible advises. I'll give you a couple principles. Now, I want to make this clear. To get right with God when you have sin in your life, he just says, confess it out to me. Own it, acknowledge it. And I think we know what that truly is. When we do that, we're right with God. And I'm not talking about salvation here. You don't have to have emotions. Or you don't have, I, I mean, you have to just truly trust him. And in truly trusting Jesus, you truly do turn from a, a self-centered kind of lit life and, and sinning and all of that. What I'm talking about is to just the profound work and that sense that you have a peace Everything's right. It is well with my soul. My sins are washed away. There's nothing between me and the Savior. And you just lay down your head on your pillow at night and you, you can sleep sweetly. I'm talking about that. So number one, you take responsibility for everything you've, you do that's wrong and grieving the Holy Spirit. You acknowledge that. You own it. You confess it to God and need be to one another. You know, within common sense of that. And you have spiritual leaders that God puts in our lives so that we can confess these things and get them out so that God doesn't have to use a scalpel and go in there and take it out. The three R's, remorse. Like I said, you don't need any feelings really, but if it's genuine, shouldn't we feel regret and and grieved over our sin. Repentance is turning around that actually produces the behavior. And restitution. You know, we love, wrongdoers love to just say, hey, Joseph, we're so sorry. Can we get the grain now? You want to go home and see that? Oh. That's why we need a few chapters. 
of ups and downs and turns and, and the turning up the heat and just restoration when we do sinful things takes time. Prayer for reflection and time. Uh, so the brothers have a way to go on this. Uh, they're not very good at coming clean, but God's beating it out of them, as it were. I have a funny story here. The U.S. government has a department I have read about, Federal Conscience Fund, that people can send money anonymously if they've cheated or defrauded the government in many of its ways. So one man, man reportedly sent in $100 with this note. I cheated on my taxes and I can't sleep at night. Here's a check for $100. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest I owe. <laughs> We're we're just not we're not the best at this, you know. And so, I think that a couple of the guys have come up with a hundred dollar bills there, and uh, and so they're starting, you know, they're starting, you know. Uh, Reuben can't resist the big fat, you know. Told you so, you know. But you know what, Reuben? Here's what I would say to Reuben. Okay, yeah, true. You tried to rescue him. It didn't work out, right? But then you went home with the dip, the robe, the robe dipped in goat blood, and you went home and you played along with the lie and you told your dad, oh, I guess some animal ate your son. I'm so sorry to have to be the one to tell you. So Reuben, you know, please. That's the other thing we like to do. You know, I'm not as bad as you guys. You know, yes, you are. <laughs> verse, verse 25 through 28. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in the sack. What? (laughs) And to give them provisions for the journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. It takes 10 days to get back. It's 263 miles. Like from here to slow. To Egypt, from where they live in Canaan, Israel. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get the feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of, of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack, their hearts sank. And they turned to each other, trembling, and said, Another, they're getting closer. What is this that God has done to us? And maybe that's because Joseph mentioned God. Now they mention God. Okay, so they're asking the right questions. What is this uh, that God has done to us? A better question would have been, what is this that we have done in God's sight that we need to confess and repent of? That's a better question. (laughs) You know, right away they're sort of kind of blaming God a little bit. What's God doing to us? What's wrong with him? you know, kind of thing. So answer, what is God, what, what is this that God has done? Answer, he's trying to get your attention. The more they suffer, the more baffling and bewildered they become from bizarre things, the more they're willing to look within and fess up, the more obvious that God's spirit is knocking at the door. There's a gospel song made famous by, in the movie, The Color Purple, a movie I don't recommend, uh, but uh, the song, it goes, it's called God's trying to tell you something. 
And so you cry all night, crying all night long. Something's gone wrong. Maybe God, maybe God is trying to tell you something, trying to tell you something. Oh, you can't sleep at night. You can't sleep at night. And you sure wonder why. You sure wonder why. Maybe God, maybe God is trying to tell you something. Maybe the Lord's trying to tell you something. Hmm. God's always trying to tell us something. Especially true. He whispers to us in our pleasures, C.S. Lewis, and he shouts to us in our pain. So uh, one, of the, uh, one of them has con- disconcerting news, verse 28, the money's returned. And, and it's, Joseph did this for one of two things. His, so- his heart is softening, number one, and it's a compassionate, uh, compassionate gesture. And he hates to see them stressed, and they think they're going to die. And, and he's a godly man, and so uh, he feels bad. So he's going to give them an, uh, a, a, a little uh, token to, to, to encourage them, everything's going to be okay. Or <laughs> he's setting them up for, to cause them a little more soul-searching by, and trying to freak them out. No. Or maybe it's a little bit of both, but uh, I don't know. Uh, one fun question is to ask, was the amount of the silver 20 shekels? Because if it were, then Twilight Zone music needs to be playing. <laughs> because uh, that would haunt someone really good. On the way back from Egypt, 20 shekels, <laughs> sound familiar? And was the rest stop right around where they sold him? So 29 and following, we're getting there, we're getting there. When they came to their father Jacob, their home in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who's Lord over all the land spoke harshly to us. Dad had treated us like criminals as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, look, we're honest men. We're not spies. We were 12, bro- we were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more. And the youngest is now with our dad in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I know. This is how I will know whether you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go, but bring your youngest brother to me so that I will know that you're not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. And so... Meanwhile, back at the ranch, they're home now. They made it the 10 days on their donkeys there. Uh, they arrive uh, <laughs> to Jacob and little bro uh, Benjamin, and they relate the story, and I just said it, So, but it's really all about our family. We told them we have a dad. We, are, we were 12. Now we're 11. One's with you, and one vanished into thin air. Imagine that. Uh, so this governor proposed proposed a test to see if we we're telling the truth. Go home, uh, take food for your starving households, which is compassionate. Leave one of us behind. Uh, bring your youngest back, and uh, everything will be cool. Verse thirty-five. As they were emptying their sacks, the rest of them there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. Oh no. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Okay, because this just doesn't happen. This, this, something's going on here. 
Verse 36, their father Jacob said to them, you've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. He's the one got left behind as a ransom payment. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything's against me. This is so Jewish. I can only tell you. I grew up with this, all right? And I've been known to talk a little bit like it, all right? So, yeah. So they get home. They're undoing all of their backpacks. And there they see, oh, my word, all of our silver we left loaded with grain and fully refunded for every sack we brought home. So Joseph uh, might have meant it to bless them. I think he did. He's trying to say, turn the story around like, hey, man, something good is going on. Uh, But they took the blessing as a curse, as often happens. Uh, One writer, to those whose minds are warped by duplicity, duplicity, deceitfulness, even good things meant to bless will be taken as bad omens. So, you know, our money has been returned. Oh, no, something terrible is going to happen. Right? So... I don't know. If my money got returned, I go, thank you, Jesus, you know? I, you know, I don't know. I, I make the phone call, you know, but I, I wouldn't uh, think that something horrible is going to happen to me, you know? You look down and you find a $50 bill, you know? Do they still make $50 bills, you know? Have you ever found like a large amount of money, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, Usually people don't feel like, you know, something horrible is about to happen. So, but unless you have a guilty conscience. And so uh, their entire world's been turned upside down. They can't think straight. And and that's what sin does. It it makes everything crazy. Uh, Things are happening that shouldn't be happening. And it feels like life is fighting against them. That's, that's the product. That's what the Bible promises. When you set your, your mind, on things of the spirit, there's life and peace. When you set your mind on your sinful nature, there's death. And just death, and, and, and that's what's happening here. Now we're going to talk about Jacob's struggles, spiritually speaking. It's not his finest hour. Uh, Jacob is a Bible hero, and how many of you are happy to know that you can be a Bible hero and not have to get straight A's? He's, he's not getting even a B or a C here. He might not even be getting a D. He might be getting an F on his report card. Uh, but he's depressed, number one. His only wife that he loved has died. Joseph, one of his favorites from her, has disappeared. And he's left with sons who he doesn't really hit it off with. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of character. They're more work than cause for any... Um, joy. Uh, he's got devastating famine. His crops are all dead. Nothing he, he does helps. His livestock are all dying. And so this is his state, you know? So instead of faith, Jacob is filled with anger, bitterness, and pessimism. So number one, verse 36, he starts blaming them for his bereavement. That's what people do. You know, it's all your fault. You've deprived me of all my children. Now, <laughs> it's been suggested that as he lists Joseph, after he blames them, that he suspects them, that they had something to do with it. Of course, I totally think that he suspects them. And it comes out when you're angry, what you really think. 
And when you're stressed out, you just blurt it out. You have deprived me of all my children. Next breath, Joseph. Why? He knew they hated him. They knew, he knew they were up to no good. He knew it was dangerous to send Joseph out to see them. And then they come back. And you know, lies have a way of not sounding right to spiritual people. And he's a spiritual man. He's a prophet. He's a man of God. He's not having a good season. But I think he knows. I think he suspects it. He can't prove it. Anyway, uh, be that as it may, uh, he's depressed. But he's not count, counting his blessings and naming them one by one, he's, as the hymn writer told us to do. He's counting his curses and naming them one by one. David Guzik, Jacob stopped trusting God somewhere amidst life's disappointments, something we're all tempted to do. Uh, Jacob could not rest in faith. He was no longer casting his cares upon the Lord. He decided he would carry them himself. So Jacob's heart was singing this song. Maybe you've heard it. No one loves me, this I know. All my troubles tell me so. That's where I'll stop. Yeah, very Jewish, as I said. The whole world's against me. Oy vey, the whole universe is against me. It's like uh, the guy who says, my life has been full of terrible misfortunes, most of which never have happened. I like that one better than you did. Uh, how about this one? You could tell Jacob, hey, man, cheer up. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And he would say, I know, it's probably another train. So he's not in a good place, you know? So uh, he's depressed, but much of it, listen to me, much of it's his own doing. You remember Anna Green Gables? I love this quote. I've told it to you before. Anne's throwing her hand up on her head and saying, I'm in the depths of despair, you know? And then she asked Marilla, uh, her adopted mom, do you ever get in the depths of despair? She says, no, I don't despair because the despair is to turn your back on God. I knew you would go, hmm, to that. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so, yeah. Why not say, instead of everything is always against me, Christian, why don't you say, God is for me. Things have been rough, but God is for me. And everything's working together for my good. Since I love him and called according to him. Listen, this has been my prayer through my hard life, we all have hard lives. I do not want to ever let it get to me so that I become bitter person. I don't want to become jaded and cynical because you know you can get beat up and beat up and beat up and beat up and no one gets more lashes than a Christian leader, sorry. We just get beat up a lot. You know what? as an example for you to follow. Don't become jaded. Do not start thinking negatively about everything. Don't stop trusting that God is good. And don't give up hope. Be a hopeful, joyful, up kind of person. Dismissing the things. Come on, the Apostle Paul. There are a lot of people that suffered way more than Jacob, including his own son Joseph. But Joseph was not like that. Neither was the Apostle Paul and neither was your Lord Jesus. 
He was a man of sorrows, but he was also filled with joy more than any other human. Hebrews chapter 1. Last paragraph. What? We made it again. These chapters are a little long. Verse 37, then Reuben said to his father, <laughs> this is another Jewish thing, you may put both of my sons to death <laughs> if I do not bring him back home to you. <laughs> what? How does that help anything, Reuben? <laughs> And, and were the boys sitting there? Like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> thanks, Dad. Entrust him to my care and I'll bring him back. But Jacob said, my son, this son, my son. He always talks about Joseph and Benjamin like they're his only sons to his other sons. He doesn't get Father of the Year award. He really doesn't. My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If <laughs> There's 10 in the room. Right? He's the only one left. And, and do you know how that made Benjamin feel? Oh, not good. No. And dad is the problem in the tension in the house because he can't let go. He can't get what he's getting through Benjamin. He needs to get that through God. You can't get what you need through your spouse. Stop it. It will always fall short. You can't get it through your kid and the parent. It just doesn't work that way. You'll never get what you're looking for through stuff things, accomplishments, or love of your life, it will not happen because your heart has a Christ-shaped hole and only Christ can do that for you. But Jacob said, my son will not go down with you. His brother's dead and he's the only one left. Sorry, all 10 of you. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. All right, so that's not cool to do. Here's what I wrote down. If I, I, I would invite him to a parenting seminar. <laughs> and I would say, maybe some of you dads here, you have a special relationship with two of your kids, and the others are harder, more difficult. And, and somehow you have to find a way to show love and care and value and nurture to the ones that you have a more difficult relationship with so that you don't exacerbate the problem, that you start to bring resolve and bring hope to change. What an impact had he started talking about, oh my word, is Simeon okay? Yeah, because he doesn't apparently care about Simeon, who's in Egypt and is going to be killed. He says, no, we can, we can let Simeon be killed as long as I got Benjamin. <laughs> All right? Imagine if he started showing care for them and talking about them like they mattered to him and they were worth uh, his um, time and his effort. And so that's what he's doing there. That's what we all have to do. Now, in the morning... Spencer, in the morning, the most amazing thing happens. Here it is. 
You should have known that was coming when I had accused I had accused Spencer <laughs> to make sure he was on time. All right, uh, let's pray together. Father God, what a, an amazing chapter, amazing turnaround. Lord, we see the truth of sowing to the flesh, of course, and as the word says, your sin will always find you out. Lord, uh, we know that's true. Uh, we want our good works to find us out. We want to plant seeds uh, that are not poisonous, but that bear fruit and are beautiful, smell fragrant, and are a blessing to other people. So help us, Lord, to keep these truths in mind, even into the night hours tonight, tomorrow, and just that your living word would guide us in life in very similar times, God, and very similar situations and relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.